Welcome to Midsummer and Autumn Methodist Church. We hope you enjoy this podcast. The wonderful truth there that he is life. Jesus comes to us with all its life. And I'm very conscious that especially Simon will be wondering Where's the joke this morning so that you can have your weekly groan uh, for this time? So here we are. Here's this week's one that amused me uh, to keep our spirits up and to keep us laughing. Laughing is a good thing to do, especially as we're isolated from uh, uh, people around us. So here's a thought. What other job do part-time traffic signals have? Think about that one. Um, And this one I liked as well on the theme of uh, cars. Uh, Does anybody have a book on how to fix automatic gearboxes? Because I went to the library the other day and all they had was manuals. Groans all around on that uh, basis. Well, let's uh, come to this word that John gives to us from chapter 20 and verses 19 and onwards. We've only got, what is it, four verses here. Uh, Last Sunday we had uh, Mark's account of the uh, resurrection with all that incredible power and the, the person standing there saying to the people who had come to the tomb, do not be afraid, don't be alarmed, he is not here, he has risen. And we take up, as it were, that story here from John, who tells us that on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they were in, maybe, that same room that they had celebrated and marked the Last Supper in. It may be this room which they'd hired, as it were, in Jerusalem, which had now become very much their retreat. They'd seen what had happened to Jesus. He had been crucified. And for maybe many of the disciples, and remembering this may not just be the twelve, this, well, eleven by now, of course, this may also have included some of the uh, women who followed Jesus as disciples. Uh, and it may well have been that they were still in that upper room because they knew that that next knock at the door could be somebody to take them away to do exactly the same to them as they had done to Jesus. These Jewish religious leaders they had seen with Jesus would stop at nothing. So it's no wonder that John says, and remember John, one of those disciples, it's no wonder he says the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish um, leaders. This was a time of deep, deep fear. And yet, John has already recorded in verses 1 to 18 that both he and Mary had had the experience of the risen Lord. But for the rest of the disciples, they were still in mourning. The testimony of both John and Mary didn't seem to convince them. 
So they continue to fear for their lives. Thus the locked doors. Then we're told, Jesus came and stood among them. This must have been quite an incredible event. He seems to come through the locked door. He presumably now is in new bodily form, though still recognisable, because they recognise him. He's able to show them in a few moments' time his pierced hands. Something incredibly supernatural, to use that word in the proper sense, is happening here with Jesus. So he gives them um, some evidence, not only his presence with them in that locked room, but he also, uh, after he has said, peace be with you, verse 20 tells us, after he has said this, he showed them his hands and his side. It's really me, he says. Look, it's not just a ghost. It's really me. Here are my hands. Look at my side. Look what they did to me. But I'm now alive. And I'm back with you. The evidence of his very real crucifixion and suffering. This was no ghost. This was Jesus. And he was alive. And John totally undersells the next bit, I guess. It just says... The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've heard this passage read many a time, and uh, I'm always slightly amused, within as it were, uh, when people read this in public. And I've heard this read, for example, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And it just loses all sense of what's happening there. This is Jesus. He's proven to himself and to the disciples that he is alive. This is great news for the disciples. They are overjoyed. I wonder when the last time was you were overjoyed. I don't mean just happy. It's more than that. I don't mean that you were just content or it was pleasing but that you were overjoyed. Literally, the word means overjoy, beyond joy. This was the best thing that had happened to them. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they have the evidence in front of them. Jesus, his presence, he comes through the door and he shows them his pierced hands and sides. The response of the evidence is that they are overjoyed. Maybe there's something there about us meeting with the risen Lord. For remind, we're reminded that he says to us he is with us always. Maybe there's a question there for us to reflect on. How overjoyed are we that Jesus' presence is with us each moment of our days? And how do we show that? And how do we praise God for that? But then Jesus goes on in verse 21. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending 
you. Isn't it incredible that within just a few moments, Jesus says to the disciples, peace be with you twice. He recognises that their hearts are troubled. He recognises that they're in shock. Yes, a few moments ago they were still in mourning, many of them. And so twice he says to them, peace be with you. Now, this is where our English language just doesn't help us here. It is so restricted, this word peace. Peace, we often talk about, is a cessation of hostility. Just to have some peace amongst the, the noisy world that we have been used to. The word that Jesus is using here is rich in meaning. It's the, it's the Hebrew word shalom. That blessing upon people. It's a gathering of all the blessings of the kingdom of God and expresses a desire that the person receiving it may live under the gracious hand of God. This is no sort of just formality. This isn't like when we meet somebody and we just say hello to them or welcome or whatever it might be. This is expressing to them all of God's blessing, all of God's riches upon them that the kingdom of God represents. This is a transforming word. This is not just a few words. I wonder, again, for us to reflect on whether we sense that when um, we share together in the peace from time to time in our communion service. Are those just words that we utter to people, the peace of the Lord be with you? Or are we expressing something much deeper than that to the person we meet? That God's blessing would be upon them. So these incredibly powerful words that Jesus gives to the disciples. A blessings of God be upon you, he's basically saying. And maybe there's also something in here about this shalom being a, a sort of reconciling uh, peace that Jesus alone could give. We remember that uh, as he was preparing the disciples for his departure, as John records in chapter 14, he says the words in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus' peace is like no other peace that we can create or receive from others is that shalom peace, that peace which the world cannot give. And lastly in this passage Jesus not only gives them peace, he sends them out in verse 21 and he breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit. In other words you can't just go out on your own and do this, you need God's help, you need God's power, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting what Jesus associates with that in verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So they are to be sent out in the power of the Spirit. And one of the things they are to do is not only to know forgiveness for themselves, 
but also forgiveness for others. This is an incredible gift that Jesus is giving. Not only is he giving them the gift of peace, shalom, but he's also giving them the gift of forgiveness and being able to forgive. And it's those two gifts which I want to leave you with this morning as we reflect on this passage. Remember, the disciples are still under locked doors in this room. And yet somehow, incredibly, by the presence of Jesus coming into that room, the doors have been blown away. The doors of their hearts have been transformed. No longer are they closed doors of mourning and grief. Now they are open doors of peace and forgiveness. And those two things, it seems to me, are two things that lock doors for many people in this world. For you and for me, that may be true as well. First of all, a lack of peace of mind, of heart, of will. Our world is searching for peace. Over the last 30 or so years, it seems to me as I reflect, that there has been an explosion of various methods to try and find that peace. People engage in such things as yoga, mindfulness, meditation, tai chi, happiness clinics, self-help, all those sorts of things. There is dis-ease in our society and we are struggling to find peace, true peace. Now, of course, this has been true throughout human history, right from the very beginning. It is nothing new. But it's something which we crave for. And we try to do all sorts of self-help stuff. And we find that that may work for a short time, but then longer term, it, it kind of wears off or it just feels hard work. Jesus offers us this morning true peace. Those words from John 14 again. Peace I give unto you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The message translates it as this. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace. And maybe this morning we just need to let those words of Jesus permeate into our hearts and minds. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This morning Jesus can open that locked door for you. Let his peace, his shalom, flood into your lives wherever you need that. So that's one door which can be unlocked by the presence of Jesus. And the other door that can be unlocked by the presence of Jesus is the door of unforgiven sin. 
Marganita Lasky, a famous humanist, once said this, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. Then she added, You see, I have no one to forgive me. And the problem is, there are many Christians, let alone non-Christians, who are living today as if they haven't been forgiven. Which means they find it really difficult to forgive themselves and to forgive others. We pray that prayer in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And they are just words, they're not an experience. In other words, we can find ourselves locked in a room of unforgiveness. And we do that to ourselves. Instead of letting Jesus in by his risen power and his Holy Spirit. He shows us his pierced hands as a reminder that he died to save us from sin. That's what he does. William Blake, the great writer, says, The glory of Christianity is to conquer by forgiveness. You see, both the doors of that lack of peace and that unforgiven sin can be unlocked by the power of the risen Lord Jesus. At this moment, although the disciples remained in the locked room, they were given opportunity to be free in themselves and under God. This can be our experience too. Although we are in lockdown, to use that phrase at the moment, this can be a time of liberation through prayer, through coming close to God to receive God's peace and forgiveness, which then prepares us for being sent out to do the work of his kingdom. You see, we cannot go out without the peace and forgiveness that God alone can bring. Somebody who knew about forgiveness truly was Corrie Ten Boom. She was a survivor of a concentration camp. camp. There have been books and indeed a film uh, written but called The Hiding Place. Corrie Ten Boom writes this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hate. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. So, this morning, are you staying in locked doors? Or will you let the freedom of the resurrection open the doors of your heart and soul to Jesus, so that you can indeed know his shalom peace and his love and his joy. We cannot do this on our own, you see. It's no use self-help groups. We must open our hearts to receive God's peace and forgiveness through the risen Lord Jesus. But then, as I reminded you last week, all shall be well. And all shall be well, and all manner of things will be well. Let us pray.
God, our Father, we thank you that the risen Lord Jesus can come into our hearts. And we pray that we would open the doors of our hearts and lives to receive his risen power. For then we shall know true peace, a peace that the world cannot give. Then we shall know true forgiveness, a forgiveness that the world cannot give. And all of this through the power of the risen Lord Jesus. And so Lord, as we draw close to this act of worship, we pray that maybe in the coming hours, we need to spend time with you to receive that peace and forgiveness. And as we receive that forgiveness, maybe we need to reflect on people we need to forgive. And Lord, if that's somebody who is no longer with us, it may be something from a long time ago. We pray that we can just offer that to you in prayer and receive your peace through that situation. That we're not being held back, but we can live with open doors, open hearts in this world that we live in. Even though... Um, we're in lockdown, our, law, our doors are locked physically of our homes. We can know open doors in our hearts and minds. And all of this because of what Jesus has done through his resurrection. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.